A.W. Tozer said this. He said these words, and I want to tell you a story. He said, it's doubtful whether God can use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. It's doubtful whether God can use a man greatly unless you've experienced the bruising that God begins to come. I'm not sure if I'll be able to or even have time or even can get it out to tell you what Pastor Carter told me in 2010. But I may, but I may he's re- releasing me, but I may have to wait just a few moments if I can just get myself. Here's what I want to tell you. Scars tell stories. Physically, I can look on my hand and I can see certain things that go, and I remember when I did this, I have a scar that goes across my eyebrows because my mom said, don't run. I did run, and then then something happened. Scars tell stories. Greatest scar story that I know on this that in, in the last few years is, is the young man that pastored with me in Detroit, Michigan. Many of you know we were there for 30 years. And we lived right in the center of Detroit. It was called Highland Park, Michigan. We bought, as we told you yesterday, we bought a 900-seat X movie theater, turned it into a church. On one side of us was the, was the Deja Vu strip club. On the other side of us was the Crown Prostitution Motel. Across the street was the Worldwide Pornographic Videos. And then God planted a church right there. And we bought the largest 900-seat pornographic theater right in Highland Park, Michigan. And we lived in the city that we pastored in. And it wasn't, it wasn't easy. We raised our four children there. All four of our children were birthed there. And every night, I'll tell you what we used to pray over our kids. But they used to hear us pray this. God stationed angels on all four corners of our property. We would pray that every single night. We would hear gunshots every single night, lived in that house for over 20 years. And we'd hear gunshots. We'd have people visiting us, relatives visit us, and they'd hear the gunshots, and we would just tell them it's fireworks. And so we just didn't want, we just didn't want there to be any problems. But the scar story happened on, I lived on California Street in Highland Park, which is surrounded by Detroit. And our associate pastor lived on Massachusetts Street. Our, our area had all state streets. I was in Minnesota. I was interviewing a possible candidate uh, and friend for a youth pastor position. And then I got a phone call at 3 in the morning while I was there getting ready to catch a 6 a.m. flight. And they said, uh, it was Kevin's wife. And, said, and she said, I, I don't know what's happening. The police called me and said, you better get back quickly. Your husband is going into surgery. She said, I don't know if it was a hoax I don't know what was happening. So I called our youth pastor and I said, Aaron, one, I mean, I'm sorry, our media pastor. I said, Aaron, why don't you get over there and see what's happening and just to make sure this is what we got. We want to make sure it's not a prank. And he called me back, voice quivering, and just simply said, there's yellow tape all around our associate pastor's property. You need to get back immediately. When I got back, I found out that somebody broke into Kevin's house And while Kevin was coming down, thank God his wife and two children weren't there. They already left for their vacation that Kevin was supposed to meet up with them in two days. When Kevin was coming down the stairs, a random man broke through the house looking for crack money, met Kevin, grabbed the largest kitchen knife, and met Kevin coming up the stairs. Took the knife and jabbed it into his stomach and cut away. They fell on the ground and he stabbed him also in the back of the neck, also in the throat. When it was all said and done, Kevin was undergoing surgery when I got back for 37 stab wounds. 37 stab wounds. 
There is a good end of the story because it's just literally a miracle. Because today on Kevin's body, there's eight feet of scars. Eight feet of scars. Let me tell you the stories that those scars tell. When I got back and came to the hospital, the doctor was absolutely blown away. He said, 37 stab wounds. He said, miracle number one, not one of them hit a vital organ of his body. It was an absolute miracle. He said, we've never seen anything like it. He said, the record before Kevin was 26. He said, Kevin's beat it by 11. It was just an absolute miracle. But here was the miracle that got me. They said that the man who came in to stab Kevin, um, to look just for money, didn't even know who Kevin was, came in and Kevin was laying in a pool of blood while the man was leaving him there to die. And Kevin said he was saying his final prayer to God and just said, Lord, don't let my children be bitter. Don't let them be angry with you. I just pray, God, that you... And then Kevin said he heard a voice that says, get up, they still need you. He said he stood up, held his intestines in place, and while the man was robbing the house, walked through the back door, got to a neighbor's house at 3.30 in the morning, so covered with blood that you couldn't even recognize his ethnicity. The po- it was a miracle that the neighbor opened the blood to the, uh, opened the door to the site of who he was. They called the police, brought Kevin to the hospital, and the police said, when we looked at him and we couldn't identify whether he was Hispanic, white, or black, he said, we knew that we were in trouble going into this home. They said when they walked into the home with their 9 millimeter Glocks pulled to look, the man was already gone. And he said they, did, they looked all over the place. And then they wrote this in the police report. They said they looked down on the ground. They saw this massive pool of blood. And when Kevin stood up with his size 10 feet, they saw Kevin's feet there. But this is the part they didn't understand and wrote it in the report. They said, when we saw your feet in the blood, they said, and we watched and we saw the path from that door to your neighbor's door, there was no footprints. (laughs) He said, so standing in that blood and walking over to the neighbors, we should have seen some residue of blood or some footprints walking in the blood to the neighbor's house, but we didn't see any footprints whatsoever. I don't know if you've ever seen that corny picture, Footprints in the Sand. This is the updated Detroit version called called Footprints in the Blood is what this one is called. And and, And listen, they may not know how we got to the neighbor's house. I think we know here at Fire in Our Bones Conference how Kevin got to that neighbor's house. And I watched Kevin, I watched the miracle. When I think of those eight feet of scars, I've watched the miracle as Kevin stood in that courtroom, as we walked Kevin through so much. And I watched him in the courtroom and the, and the judge looked at him and says, now it's time for your victim statement. And he said, absolutely not. He said, I'm gonna give a life statement and pronounced forgiveness over the man that stabbed him 37 times. And every time I see Kevin and see the scars here, the scars on his neck, the scars that go across his face, every time I see that I'm going, footprints in the blood. Every time I see it, I look at it and go, missed every vital organ. Every time I see it, I'm going, that is a man who pronounced forgiveness on eight feet of scars on the very man that did it to him. Talk about scars that tell stories. This is absolute, and God somehow would use this to prepare Kevin for launching a ministry of reconciliation 
of the, all over the United States on how God would use this man. But if you would have told him that this is the preparation that you needed to go through in order to do this, how many would say, sign me out? <laughs> There's no way. But God is smart. He will always tell you the end, but never the process. He'll tell you what's ahead, but not tell you how to get there. He gives Joseph a dream and says one day uh, he sees sheaths bow, bow in the field before his sheet. And all of a sudden he sees the stars bow before him and realizes one day I'm going to be in a position that my own brothers are going to bow before me. But isn't it amazing? God showed him what was going to happen but never showed him how it was going to get there. Because if God would have showed him the process, it would have not been a dream. It would have been a nightmare. And God is so smart Let me just tell you, even when, when Pastor Carter told me in 2010 what I was going to go through, thank God, thank God I didn't know even what the process was. I would have said, forget it. I abort mission. There's no way I'm going to do this. I want you to write these three things down because this, and it, this is just a, a little byproduct. What, what was God going to do in Joseph? Here's number, let me tell you the three things that God said, I'm going to prepare you to lead, be second in charge of a country. And he said, my schooling, we talked about this yesterday, is going to be a lot different than you can ever imagine. One, you're going to be betrayed by the closest people in your life. Number two, number two, you're going to be accused of something and you can't defend yourself. And number three, number three, promises are going to be made and promises are going to be broken. So it's going to be, here it comes, it's going to be betrayal, accusation, and broken promises. And God goes, that is the school that I'm going to use to prepare you, Joseph, for what's ahead. It's a school to prepare you. It's gonna, be, it's gonna cause scars. It's gonna be a wounding that's gonna come deeply, but it's gonna be a school to prepare you for what I'm gonna do. That God uses people that if he can wound them deeply, he can begin to use them greatly. And so Joseph is one that has been betrayed by the closest people in his life. Let's just start there for a second. Drop this down underneath that. Intimacy, intimacy is proportionate, or let me just say this, hurt is proportionate to intimacy, which means the closer you are, the deeper it hurts. When Gary and I went to the streets of Detroit, we've, we've had bottles thrown at us, we've been cursed at, we've, I've even been shot at, all those things in Detroit. That didn't hurt me. I wasn't hurt deep inside. I'm not bitter with anybody. But just have your wife look at you the wrong way. Why? Because hurt is proportional to intimacy. That the closer you are, the deeper it hurts. So Joseph has his, his brother's turn against them and sell them into slavery. Then, then he has to go through the, the next scarring or really scar slash classroom is going to be this. He's going to be accused of raping the boss's wife when he's done nothing but bring blessing to the household of Potiphar, but he's going to be accused of something and can't even defend himself. He's going to be thrown into prison, and in that moment, he is going to begin to realize, I can't, go, I can't go on Facebook, I can't go on Twitter, I can't go on Instagram and tell anybody the real story that I've got to live with people thinking that I raped the boss, boss's wife. When literally we get the story and says, how can I sin against God and sin against you? And nobody heard that story except us who've read it thousands of years later. And it's amazing because everybody wants to defend himself. And sometimes the greatest school that God brings you through is to keep your mouth shut. Stop posting, get off of social media, let God defend you in this situation. But we've got to tell everybody what happened to us. 
And once you do that, let me just tell you, you're going to go through another classroom. So you better keep your mouth shut because you only want to go through this one once. Keep your mouth shut. And here's what's amazing. This is when you knew he got it. Because when Joseph becomes prime minister, let me tell you something. He has the power to go and set the record straight. Let me tell you what I would have done if I became, thank, thank God I'm not Joseph. I would have showed up and knocked on that door and I would have said, guess who's here? And guess who's going to jail? <laughs> he lived under the scourge that our prime minister was an ex-rapist. He never sets the story straight in the entire time. He leaves it in God's hands. Instead of saying anything about what Potiphar's wife did, he kept his mouth shut. I want, uh, underneath this, I want, you to, I want you to jot something down because I think I just need to say this to somebody. Difficulty is not directional. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean that God's moving you on. Difficulty is not directional. It's, a poor, it's poor providence to think that because where you're at is hard that I'm supposed to move on to somewhere else. It's God deepening something. When Jacob was going, think about Jacob for just a second. Side note, Jacob. Jacob, while he is in Laban's house for 20 plus years, he has been ripped off. In fact, he says to Laban, you changed my wages 10 times. This is what happens, which is gonna lead us to broken promises in just a second. 10 times, you promised me you'd give me, you'd give me Rachel and you gave me Leah. Broken promises. And here's what's amazing. This is what he said. When accusation come to him, I'm going to give you this. You hold it in your pocket. It's a verse that I've used and held on to. It's Genesis 30, 33. Genesis 30, 33. And it's a verse that I've lived by. And here's what Jacob said. My honesty will answer for me later. It's hard because I want my honesty to answer for me now. But God says, keep your mouth shut. Let your honesty answer for you later. And then he's thrown into prison and broken promises. A cupbearer and a baker are in prison, have dreams. And Joseph, they, they, while they're there, Joseph says, well, let me interpret these dreams. Interpret it. I have this sense that it was one of the low points of Joseph's life because he says he interprets their dream and then throws in the caveat. And when you get out, tell Pharaoh about me that I'm not supposed to be here. God has led him the entire time. He was looking for a shortcut out. That's why that horrible verse occurs at the end of that chapter. And it says, and God left them there for two more years. Should have kept his mouth shut. God will teach his lessons to us. We'll finish with Joseph as he goes through this deep wounding that God goes, in order for me to make you second in charge of the most powerful nation on the planet. You're going to be wounded deeply. You're going to, there'll be accusation. There'll be betrayal. And there'll be broken promises. I want to tell you another scar story in the Bible. First king of Israel. Listen, we better get these right. First king of Israel is who? Okay, that's kind of weak, but yes, Saul. Second, these aren't trick questions. So let's, we got, we've got battles coming. So let's get the Bible right. So 
Saul, second king, third king. Okay, I don't want to embarrass. Fourth king is Rehoboam. I just want to make sure that we don't get anybody in trouble here. Rehoboam becomes, it goes Saul, David, Solomon, Rehoboam. Rehoboam does something that, that is historical that you'll read as you're reading the Bible. He splits the kingdom. Another time to talk to you is he was a young man that had the opportunity to listen to the elders or listen to his peers. And he chooses to listen to his boys instead of what David Wilkerson used to tell me all the time, listen to the gray heads. He used to call them cotton heads. And he said, listen to them. The, listen, let me give you a phrase just for a moment that we use. We use it with our kids. We'll use it with our staff. Process up. Process when you're faced with some decision. Process with people that has more journey than you, that has more victories than you, that have more years. The worst. I remember one of my daughters coming to me, and we said, "Go process with somebody about this about this question that she had." And we meant process some with someone older and has more journey. She came back and she said she processed with her classmate. I said, "Well, listen, she's just as dumb as you are. You can't do that." I said, neither of you know what you're doing. She started laughing and she goes, all right, no. So she went and, and processed up. Rehoboam processed this way. He processed this way. That's why for every young minister, every young preacher, you need cottonheads. You need the gray heads in your life to go, what would you do? Thank God for someone like Ron Brown. That's a gray head. No offense. That's a gray head. <laughs> We process with a Ron Brown. We look to him and just go, okay, God, what, do, what, what do you think? What do you think that the Lord wants us to do? What's, what is it that God is asking us to do here? It's processing up with those big decisions. Rehoboam doesn't do that, listens to his friends. And when, he, when his friends said, you're the king now, you act like the king, it was the elders that said, be a servant. Those people will serve you forever. So he chooses, he chooses to, to live this authoritative life that he is the man, everybody carries my bag, person instead of serving people splits the kingdom and when you read the book of chronicles and kings you'll see a split kingdom which will be judah and will be israel israel will represent the northern kingdom and for the next 450 years 27 wicked kings were part of israel and for 450 years in judah you had about 22 wicked kings four of them were average Bible would, when I mean average, it says they would still keep their, um, their the, the things on the high places, the idols on the high places. But there was two revival kings. Pastor John mentioned one of those. In the midst of 450 years, you get two revival kings. And I want to talk to you about one of them, give you a quick story, and then I want to pray for you today. And the two revival kings that literally changed history and changed the nation for them are these two men, Josiah, who Pastor John talked about, and it's this guy, Hezekiah. Josiah and Hezekiah changed the entire nation. Let me read to you, in the midst of 450 years of just horrible kings, what happened with Josiah's life. You'll see it on the, on the screen. Let me read it to you. And this is what it says. 2 Kings 18.1. It came about in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel. That's northern kingdom. This is the split kingdom. Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, became king of Judah. You see the split kingdom up there, Israel and Judah. Um, he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. 
His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Look at this next verse. He removed the high places, broke down the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah. Now, I'm going to ask you, you guys have done such a great job with, with the screen up here. Leave this up here for just one moment. He also broke in pieces. This is amazing. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made for until those days the son of Israel burned incense. This is the bronze serpent that Moses made, burned incense, and they even made a name up for it and called it Nehushtan. So whatever genius came up with this, this is what took place. They took what God used 700 years earlier. Somebody said, pack it up in a bag. Let's walk around with it. We'll change its name and we'll worship a method or we'll worship what we used to do and do it for 700 years. Sometimes in revival, the first thing God goes after are things that men are holding on to instead of seeing what God wants to do for the future. He knocks out. He goes first. He doesn't even go for the high places. He goes right into the house of God for the bronze serpent that everybody worshiped. Listen, I grew up in the church. I remember when they brought drums into the church. O-M-G. It was like they heard the drums. They're going, listen, you hear Satan. And if you're a really old school, you go, Lucifer. And there was no, there was no screen. There was no plexiglass. It was just, you had, you had drums from hell and Lucifer playing the drums that was there. And then somebody would be on a guitar. If you would have saw Shane, if you would have saw this, this, this is demon one and this is demon two, but God can use that organ, but he can't use anything else. Sometimes God has to come in and crush a bronze serpent to say, let's get everything out of the way. So God can be seen in his glory and worship him, not a method. But that's not the, th verse five. Here it is. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. Man, I read that. My heart began to just flood inside of me. I have four children. I was talking to someone on an elevator as we are coming down and just love my kids, love what God, I've got a son that swims at Liberty University, I've got um, my three daughters who are living with us in the apartment, and um, everyone has their own story and their own gifting and just amazing kids, but, but each one of them faces their own struggles, and you know that as parents. So when I read this story about how, can, can you go back to verse one for a second? When I, read, when I think of 2 Kings and I think about the third year, Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, I'm going, how does Ahaz raise this boy? I said, how does he do that? How do you raise up in these hostile times that John Bailey talked about? How do you raise up a Hezekiah? Like, I don't want to read, I don't want to read Lehman books. I want to read what the Bible says on raising up a revival king. Because, I mean, and we, we've, we, we've tried hard. We have just prayed, God, cover them. There is a prayer we pray over our kids every night. We prayed it from the day that they were born 
uh, and they heard it for, for most of their life. Now they don't hear it because everybody has different schedules as they're 15, 17, 20, and 21. And so they all have different schedules. But we still pray the prayer that we prayed with them and while they were in, in, in the womb. We pray three things over our kids every single night and still do it to this day. Cindy and I will pray it tonight. God, protect their virginity. Keep them sexually pure until the day they get married. Let them fall in love with one person and let them be a Christian. We pray for their spouses every single night. Let them be a Christian. Number two, protect them physically, that no sickness, disease, no addiction, no drugs, that there would be no disease, there would be no cancer, diabetes ever come near their life, but you'd protect their bodies physically. And number three, protect their destiny. Let them be exactly what you've called them to be, nothing more, nothing less, but what you want them to be. And we pray that, they've heard us pray that. I, we had, this is when I knew I was in trouble and I needed advice from Ahaz. As I remember, we were praying for the virginity part. They were still little. We're going, God, just, we pray for their virginity. They didn't even know what the word meant when we were praying it. And we go, Lord, let them marry a Christian. Let them do this. And so they're just little kids sitting on the floor hitting each other. So then my daughter raises her hand. She goes, I know who I'm going to marry. I said, you're five. I said, how do you know who you're going to marry? She said, I'm marrying him. And it was her brother. I said, hold on. We're not hillbillies in this family. I said, we're not. You don't marry your brother in this family. Well, you said, you, you prayed for a Christian. His name is Christian. And so therefore, that's the one we're... Prayer was done. We sent them to bed. And I'm going, how did Ahaz raise Hezekiah? Because I need help on this. So what you do is you take the Bible, you go backwards and go, let me find out the life of Ahaz. Let me see what he did to raise up this young boy. And if you go back two chapters, you find out how he raised him up. Let me read it to you. 2 Kings 16, this is the story of Ahaz. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, that's Hezekiah's dad, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, became king. Ahaz was 20 years old. When he became king and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, okay, this is what gets crazy. And he, what does that say? Did not do what was right. And I'm going, okay, now we have a problem. Because this revival king was raised in a non-Christian home, a non-God-fearing home. So I thought that this guy was going to begin to give me some tips. And now I'm realizing Hezekiah is beating the odds. But not just beating the odds, it gets even worse. Look at the next verse. And it says this in the next verse. <laughs> but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. This is Ahaz. And even made, what does that say? And who's his son? Hezekiah passed through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from before the sons of Israel. So I'm not just looking at a young, a, a revival king that just had an unsaved dad. I'm looking at a revival king whose dad did something to him. And I'm thinking to myself, ha, what does that mean that he passed through the fire? What, what, is, what does that, that phrase mean? Pastor John referred to, to Moloch and, and just what that was. This is a different one. In fact, I was trying to go backwards and I would see the name, but I wouldn't see the procedure. And in all those books in my library, I found two that even addressed it. I found two phone books in Grand Rapids, Michigan. They look like phone books. It's from an old Scottish preacher named John Kittle called Daily Bible Illustrations. 
written in the 19th century and quoted by most of the commentaries that sit on preacher shelves. And John Kiddo makes a comment about this. Let me tell you what John Kiddo said, what it, what it meant to make your son pass through the fire. They said the god Chemosh, they said they would build an idol between 39 and 40 feet high made of complete bronze and they would hollow it out. It would be half animal. The bottom half would be animal, hind legs of an animal. Then the torso would be human and human arms handed out. And then the last third of it from, from the chest up would be an, another animal. They would hollow it out and they said that they would put a raging fire in the bottom of this idol that would go from, if you think of these ceiling in here, maybe, I don't know, 20 feet high, maybe 25. So let's add another 10, 15 feet high in here. And you have a picture of this bronze idol. And this is what Kiddo said. He said, they would burn the fire at the base of this and that the brass would become this eerie orange color that they would see it from miles away and they would say, they're making their children pass through the fire. And this is what they would do. The priest would take the baby, strip down to nothing, place it on the arms, these burning arms of an idol. And they take that precious skin of a child and put it on those arms. And that child would writhe in pain and begin to fall down. Then after writhing and moving, fall down into the fire. The priest would pull it out. If the child died, the priest would go, the gods have accepted him. And if the child lived, they would call him a reject. The gods have rejected him. That there is a, that there is a, 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 a dark cloud now over him. And the, the father of the revival king of chapter 18, who thought, the child thought that this is my dad, the one that's supposed to say, I'm proud of you. The one that's supposed to say, I love you. The hands that are supposed to caress you and pat you on the back is now putting you in harm's way. Is now taking your body and putting it on the arms of a God with no protection. The one that you thought would protect you is now putting the scars on you. And a baby, a baby, a baby boy now all of a sudden, now allow me just to, my imagination to go, the burn marks that would go across the legs and would go across the back. And if the child moved over, it'd go across the chest, fall into the, there was no skin grafting. There was no helicopter to take them to a hospital to begin to treat third and fourth degree burns. Folks, think about it. The king, the revival king in chapter 18, who has robes on him, has scars all over his body. And that boy in chapter 18, who everybody says is rejected by his father, there was another father that says he may have rejected, but I've accepted this boy for what he is going to do. And God begins to take that boy that the hands that you thought would protect you, whether that is a, a, a professor, whether it is a parent, whether it could even be a pastor. And you sit here today and you thought I was hired and I thought it's gonna be great and now all of a sudden you get dropped into the flame. So I had people look at someone like David Wilkerson or Pastor Carter and go, oh, I wanna pastor a church like that. Sometimes I wish they'd pick up their robe and show you the scars that they went through. I had a friend tell me that when I was sitting 
when Pastor Dave was at Times Square Church, said, I'd like to pastor that church. I said, are you ready for your children to get cancer? Are you ready for your wife to go through 20 cancer? I said, don't say stuff like that. Because you don't know the scars that are underneath the robe. You don't understand what's there. But in order for God to use a woman greatly, he may have to wound them deeply. And all of a sudden, this boy that would be rejected by the entire culture, God would say, I'm going to put a robe on you. You are going to become a king. I'm going to do something. You're going to become a king. Here it comes. Scars and all. Scars all over your body. But I'm going to put a robe on those scars. And you are going to lead a nation in a revival. A robe is going to be put on those scars. Some of you are going, like, can that happen? I think by my recollection, there is that Pastor Carter talked about, a king in heaven that has a robe on him. But if you looked underneath that robe, there are scars on these hands. There are scars on his brow. There are scars on those feet. God knows how to put robes on scars and release them to do something. And here is a boy that God is about to use to change a nation. We need a change. But I believe that the new stories that are coming up is there is a bunch of young leaders that are being raised up that have so many scars upon them that God can take those scars and put a robe on them. He can take the wounds turn them into scars, and then take the scars and put a robe on them. Let me say that one more time. He'll take the wounds and turn them into scars and take the scars and put a robe on those. That will remind you of the stories of God's faithfulness that he brought you through every... You sitting here today is an absolute miracle. You in this place today is a miracle. Let me finish by telling you... A story and bring you back to Joseph for just a, a few moments here. Because you can minister with scars, but you can't minister with wounds. There's something toxic about when you're wounded and you're running a small group or preaching from a pulpit or beginning to step into, into leadership because wounded people spew out, things come out in their conversations. And it's, it's God that has to take the wounds and turn them into scars. It was, it was the word that Pastor Carter gave to me in 2010. He didn't, he didn't give me the whole process. He just told me what was going to take place. That was it. And the honest truth is he just goes, you're going to go through some of the most difficult years of your ministry. First time ever he ever prophesied to me. And said, this is what's going to happen to your life. I, I didn't think much of it. And he said, the next two years are going to be the toughest years of your ministry. It was going to be that, that wounding, that dropping, the, the, all those things that we're talking about. And, and, and it wasn't true what he said. It wasn't two years. It was five years. So he didn't even tell the truth. <laughs> and... But he did tell me this. He says, I can't tell you what God's doing, what, what, what's on the other end of it. He said, but I can tell you this. He's doing this to deepen you. He's doing this to deepen you. How do you know if it's no longer a wound and a scar? How do you know when wounds have turned into scar? Eduardo, would you come? I want you to get ready to play. We're going to get ready to close. 
Some of you going, how do you know him? I prayed for him while you were praying for the person on your right. He was my right-hand man that I prayed for. Um, let's go back to Joseph. Talk about scars. Your brothers have betrayed you. You have accusation that's still over you. And number three, you are, people have made you promises. What was the prison promise? Just remember me when you get out. They didn't remember him. And what was amazing was this. It took two years before the baker goes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry, the cupbearer goes, yeah, there's a guy that when Pharaoh has this dream and they call him out. Here's, here's what I've realized is that the kingdom of God and the kingdom promotion is not like, it's not corporate America that goes like this. The kingdom of God usually goes like this and even like this and then miracle takes place. It goes like this. You're a shepherd, you're a shepherd, you're a shepherd, you're a shepherd, boom, you're in the palace and you become, and that's David. You're a bartender, you're a bartender, you're a bartender, boom, you're in Jerusalem building a wall, that's Nehemiah. It goes like this. You're convict 37298, convict 37298, convict 37, and then boom, in one moment, they're putting robes upon you and you are about to become prime minister. Why? Because Psalm 72 says promotion doesn't come from the east, it doesn't come from the west, but it comes from God himself. That's where promotion comes. And Joseph is called, and I read this this morning in my, in my devotional. I've just finished Genesis, and you know what it said? It blew me away. It said this. The last thing I read in Genesis chapter 50 is Joseph dies at a good age of 110 years old. And the Bible is clear when Joseph gets the robe on him and the promise takes place. The dream is fulfilled. It happens at 30 years old. He serves for 80 years in Egypt. And the question comes, do you allow yourself to go through 13 years? Because we know when he's at 17, he has the dream. It's at 30, he is called out of the prison. 13 years of going through this. And serves for 80 years. The miracle happens that, that really the dream takes place 22 and a half years, not really 13, because you have seven good years. Remember, that was the dream, seven good years of plenty. And then you were going to have seven years of famine. But if you read the story, that Joseph's brothers show up in Egypt two years into the famine because he tells them there's five more years left. So really... Joseph meets his brothers 22 years later. They show up, and the Bible tells us they're all bowing before him. And I could just see Joseph. Joseph has the moment. Either he's going like, or, or at this moment, you just go, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you did. Side note, how do you deal with those that maybe have betrayed and have accused. Let me tell you one of the greatest lessons I've learned is every single night for those that we've, over the years, there's not many, but over the years where Cindy and I have maybe faced betrayal or accusation or broken promises. You know what we do every single night to keep our heart cleansed? We pray blessing on those names. For some, we have done it for 15 years. God bless them, bless them, bless them. We have a list. I have friends that call it their enemy list. I, I'm not that. I don't call it an enemy list. I just call it my blessing list on the very. You know what that does? It starts to help turn the wound into a scar. 
that the people that have said something against you, pray every night. Watch how God begins to scour and cleanse a dirty soul at that moment. The one that dropped you, the one that put you in the fire, God bless them, bless them, bless them. How do you know, how do you see the change? What happens, Pastor Tim? Here it comes. Joseph is standing in front of his brothers. They don't even realize it's Joseph. Here it comes. And Joseph can't control himself. And he starts to weep. And then he begins to disclose himself and said, it's Joseph. I'm your brother. Look at it. And then here it comes. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers couldn't even answer him. For they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, the ones that betrayed him, Please come closer. And they came closer. And he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Next verse. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. Now here's the part. Look at me for a second. Here it is. I'll close with this. Here's where we're done. To prove to you I'm done, stand up. I'm just saying, listen. Because some of you are going like, we don't believe a word that you're saying at all. Stand up. Here it is. How do you know when the wound is turned to a scar? Right here. Look at this. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. The famine has been in the land these two years and there are still five years in which there'll be neither plowing nor harvesting. I'm gonna tell you where it, where it is. There's a key word here. Keep going, next one. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant of the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God and he has, he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all of his household and ruler over the land of Egypt. Verse nine. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made you Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me. Go back with me, just if you could, go back to that first part, uh, verse 5. Go back to verse 5 again. And now I'm going to help you see it. You, this is how you know when the wound has turned to a scar is you don't talk about people, but you talk about God. You say what God has done now. It's not going, they did this to me. And did, you, did I ever tell you about what this superintendent did and what this denomination did? When you hear that, it's still a wound. It's still a wound. If the conversation keeps bringing up, yeah, this is a great thing. I wish so-and-so would have come because he needs to be here and hear that. Let me just tell you something. Look at Joseph's talk. Here he goes. Don't be grieved. He said, you didn't sell me here. God put me here. Next verse. Go to the next verse. Next slide. God set me before you to preserve for you a remnant. Look at this. It was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh. Go to the next verse, verse 9. And he says this, hurry, go to my father and say to him, thus says your son, God has made me Lord of all. It doesn't matter what anybody has done. God has brought me through this. God had a purpose in all this. God turned the wounds to a scar. And then, put, here it is, for Joseph and Hezekiah, put a robe on those scars and said, now I'm about to use you. Scars and all. And Joseph, I read it this morning, had to reprise it. When the brothers lied and they said, after his dad died, Jacob, and they said, dad said, don't hurt us. Don't do anything to you. He goes, 
I, it just, Joseph just, Joseph goes, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. They were trying to bring him back in. Folks, let's just be honest. We've all been dropped. We've all gone through accusation. We've all gone through betrayal. We've all faced broken promises. And if the language that you continue to talk about is that person comes up and some of you are going like, I don't talk to anybody about it. I just talk to my wife. You should be praying with her and going, let's pray God's blessing. Cindy hears me mention the names of individuals every single night. God bless them. Let their latter years be greater than their former years. Just it, it scours our soul. It heals the wounds. When C.S. Lewis, Lewis had probably the best commentary opinion on that famous verse, when Peter goes, how often should we, should we forgive our brother? Remember what he said? Remember the number? 70 times. This is what Lewis said. C.S. Lewis goes, that's not 490 offenses. That's one offense 490 times. It's every time it comes, God, forgive, I forgive, I forgive. We're always going like, you have 490 to offend me. Wait till we get to 491. I've had certain offenses that have taken me 490 times. God just forgive. Because this is what Lewis said. He said, there's always something that wants to begin to come and to ignite the soul to get angry again. You'll come in this place and someone will mention something and you're going, oh. And you're ready to say, oh, you go to that church. <laughs> That's the moment. God, I forgive. God, I forgive. It's 400 and third time I said it, God, you forgive. God, I forgive. God, I forgive. Because there are certain offenses. It takes 400, and it scours, it cleanses the soul. God takes wounds and turns them to scars. Listen, and then takes those scars and puts a robe on them. He did it for Joseph. He did it for Hezekiah. We have a king in glory. Every one of those scars represent what we put on him. And he put a robe. The father put that robe on that son. And today, with every head up, every eye open, I'm going to ask you to do something. This is where we become real. This is where we become, this is real and raw, just like fire in my bones. That's the Jeremiah pitch. Remember yesterday, Jeremiah? I don't like people, and I don't understand God. That's raw Jeremiah but I've got a fire in my bones that messes this whole thing up. Because just when I want to quit, it holds me in place. And if you're here today, and you're going, God, I need wounds to go to scars, and I'm believing you're going to put a robe on those scars right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, that God, we are going to begin to ask for healing in this place right now, over everyone. This is the next stories, God. This is the stories that you're saying, these are the ones that I'm going to use, Lord God, that are going to have the new stories. These are the Ezra's and the Nehemiah's. These are the Daniel's, the Shadrach's, the Misha. These are the Esther's, Lord God. But Father, you need to put robes on them. You need to turn wounds to scars, and you need to put a robe on those scars. Let them know that, God, they can go into this next generation. Like Pastor John said, that we are going to face, Father, hostility. We are going to face, God, battles. But Lord, 
We may have scars on us, but it's something that deepened us, Lord God. You've deepened our soul. You've worked deep inside of us. So right now, now here's what I want you to do. Take a moment and just proclaim blessing. Don't say their names out loud. Would you just say, God, I bless those people. I bless. Come on, you know the names in your mind. Bless them right now. Say, God, I bless that pastor, that mom, that dad, that professor. I bless that neighbor, that brother, that sister, that individual, that leader. Bless them right now. Come on. Declare, I forgive them. Declare, I bless them. And God, I pray that you're going to come and just begin to take these here as we sing as we worship as we pray put a put change wounds to scars and put a robe on these scars right now